come actually stand near the mic today? We're going to do a little uh, morning reading. I really feel bad for you guys. Like, this has got to be just brutal, getting up at 6 o'clock in the morning for a devotional before going out. So I, the thing that you've had that's been good, though, is like I think this has been like the mildest summer I can remember. I don't know if it's felt like that to you on top of some roost. Have you guys read this book? How many of you have read this book, Toxic Charity by Bob Lupton? Whoa, that's it? Okay, this is, this is I thought this was required reading. Oh, for academy people, maybe? Okay. I'm going to read you a little passage um, that talks some. I mean, this is... Uh, a part of our heritage here at um, at SOS. Let me give you a little bit of background on Bob Lupton if you're not familiar with his work. But Bob is a community developer who um, from Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, he's really a, a pioneer kind of in the field. He's been doing this for 30, 40 years. Um, and he was really um, instrumental uh, with a lot of the work that we've done in Memphis. He, he came up here and helped to do some um, consultation with us. Um, and so we, we made it into his book when, when he wrote this book. But, but the premise of the book of Toxic Charity is that, um, is that we can unintentionally do harm when, when uh, trying to help people. Uh, we can uh, create systems of dependency, um, and um, instead of really uh, working to empower people in, with dignity and and recognizing that every person, uh, no matter what their limitations, uh, has gifts from God and talents from God um, that can be um, developed and used to to build community and to build community life. So if we um, just go into a community with uh, all the resources or thinking that we're the only ones that have something to contribute, we can kind of run over and run past people. Um, and so uh, I just really think this is kind of funny because like this is, this is Bob's summary of, um, of the work that, that we've done here, okay? And uh, so I'm, I'm going to read it, and then I'm, I'm going to tell you all of the untruths in it. Um, not all of it. It's, it's, that's too strong. But uh, so this is just like two paragraphs. Christ United Methodist Church in Memphis is a, is a stellar example. This large in-town congregation became concerned about the deplorable living conditions in the Binghamton neighborhood, a long-neglected area a stone's throw from the church. They adopted it as their parish and mobilized their members to begin outreach there. They began with volunteer service projects repairing senior homes, but a significant ministry shift took place when two of the young families bought homes in Binghamton and moved in. Soon these frontline Marines were engaged in all manner of community issues, safety, education, drugs, slumlords, the same conditions longtime neighbors had struggled with for years. But unlike their low-income neighbors, these newcomers had connections, a strong, committed, well-resourced church. Soon, several dilapidated houses were acquired, rehabbed, and occupied by additional strategic neighbors and recruited and commissioned by the church. The impact on Binghamton was immediately noticeable. Crime rates began to decline. A drug house boarded up. Quality of life showed signs of improvement. Others signed up for the mission and moved in. Their numbers grew to 40. 
Binghamton Development Corporation was then created to provide skilled leadership to initiate a comprehensive redevelopment plan. At last count, 70 households relocated to the neighborhood, providing leadership to create a health clinic and a school. Okay, so it didn't really quite work that way, right? Uh, so let me let me start with the strengths and uh, of what he wrote and some some of the things that are true. Um, Christ United Methodist Church, which is right down the street from here, uh, very very much so had a vision for this community and wanted to help the community of Binghamton. Um, this kind of makes it sound like everybody was behind the idea. Uh, there were a couple of, uh, a few key leaders. Um, and I think that uh, it was really kind of embrace like the church embraced this this mission to the community that's all that's like absolutely true um kim and i and uh braxton and katie uh, carrie brady um were the two families that they talked about as being kind of the the marines who went in okay um we were scared to death Right, we we did not know what we were doing. Uh, we did feel this very strong sense of of calling to move into the community. Uh, I really wish it was like that, where uh, Braxton and Carrie um, moved with us. I think it would have been a lot healthier uh, had we done that. But but it was basically Kim and I who had lived there for about five years before another family moved in across the street from us. Um, and it was probably six years before the before Braxton and Carrie moved in, um, and we uh, had a ton of um, irrational fears about the community in which we lived. Uh, we didn't uh, understand the culture. We um, misread a lot of things that happened and and just didn't understand them. I mean, for instance, like. Uh, you know, even last night we heard gunshots. You know, regularly hear gunshots at night. Um, largely, those gunshots don't mean anything. I didn't know that then. Like it, 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 it was years before a friend of mine, Cece, who uh, lives down the, she did live down the street from us before her uh, house burned down, um, and she had to move out of the community. But uh, she was over at our uh, a friend's house actually with us. Uh, one New Year's evening, and she was just telling us um, about how much it was killing her not to be able to go outside and shoot a gun off uh, as a way of celebrating New Year's. And we're like, Cece, what are you talking about? Like, why are you doing that? And she's like, that's just what everybody does. It's just, it's just no big deal. And, um, and it's one of these things where, like, and this has happened probably hundreds of times for a time. It's like, when you start to build relationships with people and you start to understand where different people are coming from, like a lot of uh, these irrational fears are resolved and you begin to trust people. And um, I mean, what I'm trying to get at is like relationship, relationship, relationship. Relationship is key. Um, getting to know people and trust people through their differences um, is where real change starts to take place in a community. So. Um, Bob's pointing to the story of like that the key was having resource relationships um, and again that is really important this idea of strategic neighbors of people um, who know other folks uh, coming into a community or uh, people within the community 
who gather resources and relationships and decide to remain there can be really powerful agents of change. Um, but this was, this. it, it just didn't <laughs> happen like this. It was years. Like, I'd say, like, and I, I bet Philip can attest to this, like, because he's still at, like, there's all kinds of crime right outside the door. It was like, we, we saw literally, and I don't think we've ever, have, like, seen a change in the crime rates in Binghampton um, that, that he talks about. Uh, the, there was a lot of pushback in the church, um, really, that, that Kerry and uh, Braxton dealt with more so than I did because um, the leadership of, of the church did start to get excited about seeing some of the things. The BDC that they talk about, the Binghamton Development Corporation, really was doing some great work and in uh, helping to take what was started with SOS and, and doing some repair work and, and moving it into more of a development approach where um, helping people into home ownership and starting job training programs like again that that organization that Christ Methodist started the BDC did and still does have have great impact on the community um, but it it wasn't like this well coordinated plan the way that it kind of sounds here and um, the one thing really that there is a ton of pushback on is like people in the congregation kind of basically told the pastor he's like you got to stop talking about moving into the neighborhood like and like we feel like you're putting pressure on us to do that um and we don't we don't want to do it and it's a scary thing and you just you got to stop talking about it and um and they and they did uh but that's kind of the thing like that's the issue that i want to kind of raise here is that um fear is one of satan's great strategies for immobilizing us and keeping us from moving out into God's mission. Um, and so I, I just want to kind of share briefly a story of how God kind of helped Kim and I to overcome that fear um, and to really enter into, like I said, kind of meaningful relationships with people. Um, and it was, again, a story related to Bob, Bob Lupton. Um, a friend of mine... Uh, well, we we went to a, a conference here in town where Bob was was speaking. It was a little luncheon, and um, during that luncheon, like afterwards, like he he shared some of the things that are in this book, uh, some of the principles. I don't think the book had been written yet, but he was sharing the pr principles of it. He was talking about some of these things, the benefits of relocating into communities. And uh, at the end of the time, there was this uh, woman who is probably in her late 30s, early 40s, um, who asked a question, and she said, you know, Bob, like, I've felt for a while, like, the Lord putting on my heart to move into an inner-city community here in town. Um, I'm a single mother um, with uh, three young children, and one of the things I can't reconcile is, like, I just feel like if I were to do this, I would be putting my children in harm's way. And do you have any advice for me? And I don't know exactly, I mean, what I remember, I don't know if this is true or not, what actually happened, but what I remember is, like, Bob just kind of staring at her, completely silent, what felt like for a minute, I'm sure it was a couple seconds, but it felt like this long time. And then just turning and asking if there are any other questions. Like, he just didn't respond to her. And I was like, 
and my heart just went out to this woman and like I wanted to say something to her. My wife and I at the time had probably been living in Binghamton for like six months. I didn't have any advice for this lady either, but like and I was just like completely blank and just felt this like sense of horror, okay? Um a couple of weeks later, this is gonna sound completely unrelated, but this we're gonna come back to this in just a second. Um but a couple of weeks later, uh a friend of mine asked me to fill in for him and to teach his Sunday school class, and they were working through Hebrews chapter 3, okay? Is anybody off the top of their head No, what's in Hebrews chapter 3? There are really none of the great uh, Bible passages that we come to over and over again. Okay, so, and that kind of excited me, because I was like, I have, I don't, I know that I've read Hebrews chapter 3, I've no, I know I've never taught on it, let, let me do that, I'm going to, I'd love to teach on that. Because I want to learn it for myself. And so uh, in Hebrews chapter 3 and 4, there's this refrain that occurs like three times. This is kind of odd. It just kind of, they keep coming back to it. And it says, um, it's a quote from the Psalms. It says, today if you hear my voice, do not harden your heart as in the days of the wilderness. And I was like, what the heck does that mean? And like, why is it, why are they saying it over and over again? And so like when you do the research, you find out, you go back and you find out that this is referring back to the story of Moses and the Israelites when they're going into the, um, the land of Canaan, okay? And so uh, Moses sends spies out into the land and they come back, they're, they're in the land for 40 days and they come back and um, they bring this report and they say, um, the land is just as God had promised. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. They come back with like two men are carrying this pole and over the pole are draped these huge clusters of grapes. It's, these grapes are so heavy that it takes two people to carry them all. Say, so look at it. I mean, it's just, just rich and bountiful land, but they're giants in the land. Okay, They're these huge people. And we look like grasshoppers compared to them. And if we go into this land, they're going to kill us and they're going to take our women and children for plunder. Therefore, let's not go in. Let's uh, go back to Egypt where, you know, even though we were in slaves in Egypt, we were alive and we had some good things to eat. There were onions, leeks, you know, tasty stuff. And so... Uh, two people speak up, Joshua and Caleb, and Caleb says, no, the Lord has promised to deliver our enemies into our hands. We have to have faith, and we have to go into the land. And again, there's this uprising of, of the men, and they say, no, absolutely not. Um, Moses, you're no longer our leader. We're going to raise up a new leader who's going to take us back to Egypt. Okay, and then God's, God becomes really angry. Okay, and God tells Moses, because of these people's disobedience, because they refuse to obey me and to go into the land that I promised them, um, I'm going to wipe them out. I'm going to kill them off in the desert. Um, and I'm going to start over with a new people. And Moses intercedes for the people. He says, God, you can't do that because all the nations are watching. Okay, and they're, what they're going to say is that you weren't strong enough to deliver your people. And so God relents and says, um, okay, Moses, I won't kill off everybody, but all of you, because of, again, because of your disobedience, you're going back out into the wilderness for 40 years until this generation of men that have rebelled against me die off. And then the women and children, they're going to come back in to inherit the land. Okay. So this, you know, at the beginning of the week, I told you I was going to share the, you know, some of the most important scripture passages. So this story in the Bible 
has become one of the most important passages of Scripture to me in, in the whole Bible and has helped, again, to kind of sustain Kim and I in the work that we're doing. I want to share it with you because I, I hope that it helps you in the same way, right? So here are a couple things that uh, points I want to make from this story. One is that um, the men in this story are living and making decisions out of fear and not out of faith, Okay. Caleb and Joshua are the only two people in this story, well, maybe Moses, that demonstrate faith in God's promises, faith in God, faith that God can deliver them, faith that God is going to uphold his promises, right? Faith that God's going to do what he's supposed to do, obedience in response to that faith of carrying out God's command, right? Everybody else, all this, the, at least the men, right, <clears throat> justify their disobedience out of fear, Right? And look what they do. Look what they, and, and this is key. Like, look what they use to justify their disobedience to God. It's not like they're saying, um, you know, this isn't an issue of like doing drugs or this incredible pridefulness or any of these things. Like, what they say is, guys, we want to protect our family. We're not going to go into this land because we want to protect our family. They're going to take, they're going to kill us and they're going to take our women and children as plunder. Right? In order to protect our wife and kids, don't you think this is a bad idea? Right? It's not like the things that, that trip us up in our faith journey, they're, they're not going to be these, the, usually not these wild things that like everybody can identify as being sinful and disobedient. It's going to be the common, everyday things of life. Okay, there's another story in the New Testament that Jesus talks about where there's a story of uh, a nobleman who's throwing a party and he invites people to the party and the excuses that people give for not coming to the party are, um, you know, they say, well, I'm, I'm getting married. Uh, I need to go and check this land out that I bought. I need to check on my cattle. It's, it's again, family and business and possessions that trip people up and keep them from accomplishing the purposes of the nobleman, the purpose of the king, which is to come into his kingdom. Okay? Um, and so we need to live by faith and not by fear. We need to be clear on Scripture and the things that God is calling us to, and we need to, to consistently um, take stock of what are our motivations for the decisions that we make. Why... Why do we send our children to the school that we send them to? Is this a decision of faith or fear? Why do we live in the places that we live? Is it a decision based upon faith and where God's leading us, or are we trying to just look for the, the safest neighborhood in which to live? Right? Um, the jobs that we take, is it, is it because this is really where we're going to maximize our influence and maximize our, our talents, or is it because it, it provides for us the greatest wealth and the best lifestyle and livelihood. Those are things that are going to trip us up in our faith, right? Um, so we're to live by faith and not by fear. So uh, when I read that story um, and reflected on it and on its truth, like I thought back to this woman that uh, was at the conference three weeks ago. And I was like, this is it. This is the story that she needed to hear, right? This is the counsel that neither Bob nor I had to give to this woman at, this, at that moment in time. But it's, listen, lady, 
Live by faith and not by fear. If God has put it on your heart to move into this community, then don't you think that he has not only your best interest, but the best interest of your children at heart as well? And you may not be able to see the benefits that your children are going to receive through obeying God in this. You may be caught up in seeing the fears of it right now, but don't justify your disobedience based upon your concern for your children. Okay? If God's calling you into this, he has something for you. My wife and I have, um, are raising our children in this community. Let me tell you some of the benefits. They are learning to be cross-cultural disciples of Jesus Christ. They can relate with black children, Hispanic children, white children, all equally. They, don't, they, they, they go in and out of these different relationships, in and out of these different cultures. Okay? They're going to be able to take that, and they're going to be able to go anywhere in the world and be able to use the gifts that God's showing them now to enter into cross-cultural relationships. Okay? Um, they, uh, we thought that moving into the community might be a, a re- have a real negative impact on the education of our children. As we've gone into the community, we, like, we decided to put our children in the neighborhood schools. And lo and behold, not because of anything that we've done, but by the grace of God, there is change and transformation happening in the school system. And just as, just as God told Jeremiah, God told Jeremiah to, to tell the people of Israel when they're in captivity, he says, Go into Babylon, seek the welfare of the city, and in its welfare you will find your welfare. Um, and to... to to enter into the life of that community. And as we've done that, our children have benefited. In the school system, like it's not only our our kids that are benefiting, but the whole neighborhood is benefiting from this renewed emphasis on education in the school system. My kindergartner is reading on a third grade reading level. Like, not because, I mean, Kim and I don't have time to, I shouldn't say that, like spend the time we should with our kids. Like it's because they have great teachers. Right, and they're they're getting a great education in this community, but the key is do not live in fear. Right, God, if God is leading, it's because He loves you, and there's change and transformation and opportunity not only for you but for those that God has put around you. Okay, so I want to leave you with these two questions for you guys to think about at some point. One is. Sit down and maybe make a list or like, is there a fear or fears that are immobilizing you and keeping you from moving forward in your faith? And then the second question is, um, what is a step of faith that God is asking you to take now that's going to help to advance his kingdom? Right? So I think those are two good reflection questions to think about some of these things. But guys, if you would do that, if you would over and over again, come back to this point of like, let us live by faith and not by fear. You will see advancement in the kingdom of God before your eyes. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I I thank you so much for this uh, group of men and women, again, who've come here and have given up their summer um, to serve you, to work for you, um, to love our neighborhood and to love uh, the kids that come through this program. And Lord, I pray that you would bless them. I pray that you would give them 
a great measure of faith, uh, of grace, um, just help them to know how much they're loved. Uh, but Lord, also help them to reorient themselves to your life, to your plan, to your purposes. Um, and Lord, I pray that they would be um, very fruitful in the things that they do for you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.